All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Welcome to episode 212 of the DFO Rundown. I'm Jason Greger, and the Rundown is brought to you by Botano 19+. Please play responsibly. The game starts now with Botano, as always, joined by Frank Saravalli as we roll through the uh, NHL playoffs, and uh, the deeper it goes, uh, it seems the uh, the more exciting it gets. You have... uh, you know, the Edmonton orders coming back from a three, nothing deficit, which happened twice, by the way, last season, uh, people are uh, wondering Florida and St. Louis did it. So it, it had been since 1997 for Edmonton to come back from a three, nothing deficit to uh, win a game. They did that against the Dallas stars. That was the uh, Kelly Buckberger uh, game where the order scored three goals in the final four minutes to tie it. And then won it in overtime. Now this one is a little bit different, but still a big comeback for them. Uh, meanwhile, Taylor hall had his first four, Point uh, game in the postseason. Uh, Boston is one game away from moving on. Carolina ends their road losing mm. streak at eight, Frank. Um, so there's lots going on. It was a crazy weekend. You, you had a little melee in Toronto. You got Dubas getting in with the fans, man. Like, I love it. Emotions are higher in playoffs. Yeah, the passion reaches a fever pitch. Um, what do you think was the juiciest part of the weekend? Well, the one that got a lot of talk was the you know the the whole video review and overtime of Edmonton LA and 
I've watched that, I don't know how many times, Frank. I'd see it from one angle. I'm like, I don't think it touched it. Then I'd see another one. I'm like, oh, okay, I think it touched it there. But to me, it, it wasn't conclusive at all. Um, and so I understood why they made that call. That was one, I, I think the whole Riley point and the, the Stamkos and, and Matthews uh, situation definitely got a lot of hype going on. Um, I, I, I love the, uh, I love the, what about you? What stood out for you? By the way, like, I don't understand the complaining about the video review and the consternation because that like nitpicking through video to see if a player did or did not touch the puck on a potential high stick is not the purpose of video review. Thank you. It was instituted to catch the egregious, a player being 10 foot offside and, and somehow everyone missing it as opposed to something where, you, you know, you got to watch it from nine angles and zoom in three X and, and, and this is not the point. Like we we're missing the point. And by the way, what goes around comes around um, because the Oilers got away with what appears to be a high stick in overtime on the exact sequence that Yamamoto, Kyler Yamamoto touched the puck in the neutral zone about a minute before Zach Hyman scored. If, if you go back and watch the clip, it's clear as day. Yet I don't hear anyone today bitching saying, oh man, yeah, you know, that, that play should have been blown dead. It has nothing really to do with the sequence of the play. Like it, it's not, it's not part of the goal scoring faction of it. So like stop trying to use it as a crutch. It drives me nuts. But I think the overall discussion about officiating, I, I got to take a deep breath before I say this. Like we talked about it last week and I was still getting some people and thank you for listening that were tweeting me over the weekend saying you still want fans to shut up. And it's like, no, I don't care that fans are upset about officiating. It's like one thing that binds all hockey fans together is that every team everywhere and every fan base universally hates everyone that wears the stripes. And I say that tongue in cheek, but I, I'm, I've really had sort of like this it's not an epiphany, but like, I guess the frustration for me that that really sets in with regards to the NHL officiating. I First off, I don't think it's ever been worse. And second, the NHL refuses to acknowledge that it's not good. That I think is the worst part. It, it goes back to the entire culture of the league, which is they're perfect. And I don't know if it's an arrogance thing, a complacency thing. Whatever it is, but how many times, no matter what pops up, do we hear the league take the positive spin? Where, like, you know, officiating, we've got the best officials in the world and 99.4% of all calls are correct. Like, don't throw that stat at me. Like, I, I don't I don't care. It's kind of like when you heard Gary Bettman earlier this year at the Board of Governors where he said he was asked about those uh, moving Dasher board ads. And he's like, well, we have studies that say our fans like it. Who? Like, why can't you admit that? Like, yeah, it's been a great thing for business, which is why it's not going anywhere. But that no one really likes it and it doesn't look good. It's distracting. And you see players cut off all the time. Like, why can't there just be an admission here of like, we're taking the money. So you got to like it. Instead of telling us like, yeah, everyone likes it. Duh. Like, are you guys stupid? Like everyone likes this. We're not, no one's stupid here. 
So don't pretend like we are, I guess is my point. The officiating isn't good. One of the most underreported or unreported stories, Jason, recently is the, the turnover in officiating. How many of these officials that are doing games have you seen for the last 10 to 15 years? Oh, yeah. Eventually, we're going to have turnover, right? You had lots of guys retiring. But that means you have young, younger, inexperienced officials that are put into those spots. And there's nothing wrong with that. You've got to earn your position. You know, you've got to earn your way up. And eventually, those guys will be the guys that we, we've known for a long time. But it doesn't change the fact that there's been a drastic turnover in NHL officiating in the last five years. Yeah, no, drastic. I now, I will say, I don't think the officiating overall has been bad. I think there's a select ones that have stood out. Um, ask any Minnesota fan and Marcus Felino. The penalty on Marcus Felino, I, I need an understanding of how an which NHL one? official. I know, but <laughs> that's, how an that's the official. like which which one do you need an explanation on? Because both of yeah, them were egregious. They're both bad, right? So, and then you you look at, and it's the same officials in that game that did game three of Edmonton LA that that had some borderline penalties. And so to me, like I, I look at the, the other games now, I know some people did, they thought, well, the Riley point, that should be a penalty. I watched that numerous times. I'm, I'm not sure in real time that, that that's a blatant penalty. Honestly, I, I don't think it is. So um, there, there's always going to be some calls where one fan base loves it and one fan base doesn't. And I'm okay with that. That's never going to change because you're emotionally invested as you should be as a fan. But I think when you can watch a game that you're not emotionally invested in and say, geez, that was a bad call, which I thought the, the minutes, like I saw people on Twitter who aren't Minnesota fans saying that's a terrible call. That's when you know, it's a bad call. When, when you have a call in a game where the fan base goes online and it's their team that's getting screwed over. I really kind of block that out because they got a bias as they it should, does. they cheer for their team. But I like the, the game three and four, same referees. I'm sorry. And and actions will speak louder than words, Frank. I will be. We'll see if they get promoted. If Garrett Rank is doing the next round, I'll be stunned. And if he is, that's when the question should ask. So if he's a young guy getting some experience, but it seems like he's got just like players, as young players in the playoffs, he's got caught up in the emotion of the game. Sometimes, like oh, oh, geez, like Marcus Foligno's a big strong guy here. I better better not let him start running around. So and you're just like. Dude, physical plays allowed. So I don't think all referees bad. I think the refs are actually overall pretty good. It's when there is an egregious call, the NHL doesn't admit it. If they would just that's, admit that's that, it. That to me is a, like the NBA. They're so good at it. They communicate. Yes. Why can't we have someone that I would love to get Garrett? I forget who Garrett Rank's partner was on Sunday. Ford Wallach was the extra ref. Why can't we? Get an explanation from them post game. We don't even need to like as reporters. We don't need to ask the question. Just the league ha- puts out a statement saying, "Hey, here's what I saw here. Here's what I was thinking." Or even do what the NBA does. If you want to have a pool, right? And it doesn't have to be that you can have. You oh, can I've have been asking for pool reporters for years. Yes, like to me that would be very because what it would do because there's lots of times I, I started a sh- I had Kerry Fraser for years for hockey and then I had Bud Steen for football and and the reality was Frank. 90% of fans don't even know the proper rules and what it's supposed to be called. And nor should they be. They've never officiated. And that includes some of the media people, includes some analysts. And uh, having done shows with those guys and then listen to comments, he's like, see that comment? The guy makes it on the broadcast. He's actually false. But people listen to it and they're like, well, obviously it's got to be right because he said it. So um, 
you know, getting an official on the broadcast, I think would actually help. They, they the do NFL. have the official on the broadcast in the U.S. on I mean, on both channels. Okay, well, they don't have that in Canada, and I think it's Dave Jackson does ESPN, and Brad Meyer does TNT. Perfect. Like, and so they're there, but they're not coming out after the fact and and explaining. Yes, that's two parts. You're right. That's a that's a different element in in game and explaining the rule book. Like, it's it's valuable, but it's not like I want to know after the. It would make it so much more human and likable. No, hey, but I mean, I, on, this guy was to, in my way and I couldn't properly see. I didn't have the right angle and I thought I saw this, but I didn't. And I messed up. Like, no one's saying you need to get burned on a stake or, uh, you know, we're going to put your head on a, on a pike. Like, that's not that's not what we're saying. No, Just no, provide agree. color and context for us to help understand what you were thinking. And instead, this whole thing, this goes back to exactly what I was saying. The NHL can never admit that they're wrong, yeah. ever. Well, here's, here's they've the never made a mistake. Officials, though, I don't even need the official himself to come out and make him say they made a mistake because. And the other thing is, thinking that the refs can't make a mistake is the most inane mindset ever. Do you think players don't make mistakes? They make it all the time. And guess what? Once you make and and players will make a bad mistake, and they're out there the next shift. Now, if you make it multiple times, then the coach might say, okay, you know what? It's not your night, Harry. You're sitting down. We saw that Vincent DeHarnay, rookie, right? Uh, halfway through the second period, being a tough period. I mean, him. how about Dylan Sandberg? He has that awful turnover in overtime for the Winnipeg Jets, and he's right out there talking to the media after yeah. the game. Yeah. Why, it, why are referees immune to that? I don't understand. And well, I'm, be- again, I'm not saying... It even needs to come from him. Have it come from your director of officiating. Have it come from someone in the officiating department. Here's a statement on what we thought and saw. Yeah. That's and they, and in fact, they might have something that they know that we didn't know about the rule book that they actually got it right. Oh, they have a lot of times. I would agree. Yeah. I think it would help them. And, and the, here's the thing. Cause they do get it right a lot. Oh, I get, they get it right way more than they get it wrong. And I think what would happen is for most people, if they came out and just said, you know what? Miss call and, and fans who want, Oh, he should never ref again. Then guess what? Don't idiot. listen to those fans. Cause they're idiots. No offense. You're an idiot. If you're like, Oh, he should never ref again. Oh, really? Should your favorite player who just made a serve to pizza up the middle, never play again. Of course not. It's not. Reality. It ends the conversation. If they were to come out and say, we made a mistake, people yeah, stop. They yes. stop with their anger. They stop with everything. And it just, it allows normal human discourse to continue after that because it's logical because humans make mistakes. hundred percent. And here's the other thing though, that I think is a really good point. Even when the official makes a call that you don't like, even the best power plays are like 21%, right? So if all of a sudden your penalty kill can't kill it off at that right time, part of that's on you. So, well, you might not like the call and I totally agree. It's just like, hey, if your defenseman makes a bad play and then your goalie saves him, guess what? No one really talks about the play as much because the goalie saved you. So bad call, sure. But if your penalty kill kills it off, it's not talked about as much. So let's talk about another reason or another way that the NHL doesn't admit fault. I wrote a story on Friday that was published about what appears to be a very clear conflict of interest um, and, and multiple people in the management and coaching community are upset about it. And that is just to give everyone the background that, you know, may not have had a chance to read the story is Neil Glassberg of PBI sports. He 
is a coach's and manager's agent. He represents them. He negotiates their contract. He gets paid by them, gets a cut of their deal. Well, NHL teams have now gone about hiring him who represents coaches and managers to conduct their searches for coaches and managers. And in the Flyers case, their president of hockey operations, despite the fact that some of his clients may be candidates for those open positions. And he has a financial stake in the game in that he can get paid on both ends of the deal. So the one example that I used in the story was May, 2021, Jim Rutherford hires Neil Glassberg to represent him. He wants to get back in the game after leaving the Pittsburgh Penguins. You know, December rolls around. Francesco Aquilini hires Neil Glassberg, the Canucks owner, hires Neil Glassberg. They fire Jim Benning and they hire him to conduct this search. A grand total of four days go by and Jim Rutherford, Neil Glassberg client, gets hired by the Vancouver Canucks in a search conducted by Neil Glassberg. <laughs> gets paid on both ends of the deal. So I understand and people, I, I've seen some of the responses I've got from people and they say, well, this happens all the time in the business world. I guess, and I've also seen some other fans saying, who cares? Well, you should care if you're the fan of certain teams. Yeah. Depending on the misery that you may face with who he's putting in these positions and or success. But more than that, the league, which I reported in the story, seems to have no issue at all with these dealings. Saying, based on what we know, we're comfortable with this arrangement. How is that possible? Like, how? It, does. it, it seems odd, Frank. It's sorry to interrupt, but it seems odd to me because in the NHLPA, you can't represent players and coaches, correct? That was a big point made by an NHL coach was like, the NHLPA has very clear regulations in place. If you represent players, you cannot represent coaches, GMs, executives. You cannot represent anyone that might also then impact your player and his status in the league. And that's important because think about it. If you have a player who plays for Carolina, and you have a coach who's in LA, they might have no connection, but it's the point of um, six degrees of separation, somebody knowing someone else, you, all of a sudden that guy gets traded to Carolina and then he's up for contract, yada, 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 or sorry, gets traded to LA. So to so me, the I genesis understand. of that, by the way, is like there were, there were agents back in the day, yes. you know, starting in the Allen Eagleson days where the agent would represent the GM and then they'd represent seven or eight players on the team and they'd say, hey, um, you know, uh, Serge Savard, how about this guy over here? You give him a little more and I'll get this guy over here to take less. <laughs> and that was sort of the dealings that went on back then before these rules were instituted. Yes. So why does the same sort of parameter not exist in the NHL's Coaches Association? Like, why do they not have the same language in their yes, dealings? Because this would seem to be one, though, where, it, yeah, you would not, if somebody, if you represent a coach, you can't then go work for an organization that hires coaches. Can't do it. That, that's what it, that seems pretty clear to me. Yeah. 
So now I know the coaches don't like it. So then shouldn't the, if the coaches are the ones who don't like it, they got to bring it up in their coaches thing and say, Hey, moving forward, we're not going to allow this because it's not the NHL that does it right. Frank, it's the NHLPA that says agents can't represent both. So it should be the coaches association who comes here and says, guys, we're not allowing this. If you want to represent one of us, you don't get to freelance and be a consultant for an NHL team. Correct. Correct. However, the only caveat that I would add into that is that it appears that, well, since publicly the NHL backed Neil Glassberg and this conflict of interest case, that they are also then supportive of him and or potentially even recommending him to teams to participate in these searches. Yeah, which is fine. If they is want it, but the, is it fine that the well, NHL it's not is fine, but I'm saying the coaches association can easily end it, right? Well, they that's, can this, I, I think there's a movement afoot to yeah. do that. Yeah. Like they should, they should do that this summer. Boom. Guess what guys? Hey, Neil, if you want to represent coaches, you can represent coaches. You can't represent coaches and then get paid on the side by NHL teams to hire the guys that, and, and you brought up, there's one example, whether or not people can say, well, they were going to hire Rutherford anyway. They might've, we don't hundred percent know. Yeah. But the point is, when you're connected to both, it doesn't look good. So so then the other response I saw was, well, he helped with the Anaheim search, and that went to Pat Verbeek, someone that he had no connection with. Okay, so now let's spin this forward a year or however long it's been since Pat Verbeek has been in the chair. He now has a head coaching opening. Is he going to yeah. get heat from, from Neil Glassberg to, to hire one of his guys? Yeah. You don't I don't know. He says, hey, I got I helped get you this job. You you gotta hire my guy. Yeah. Maybe, maybe not. I, I don't I don't know. All I'm saying is more often than not, when there appears to be a conflict of interest, the appearance of one and actually having one are the same thing. Yes. So it should be to me, it's an easy fix. And uh, the coaches association, which is, I, I'll say this: I think the coaches association has, has gotten a lot stronger in the in the last decade. Way strong. It's a big deal now. Yes. And which is great. I think that's awesome for them. And so they, they understand their importance and where their standing is. And so hopefully they have the strength to say, guess what, guys, the NHLPA does this. We actually have a smaller union it should be easier to enforce it. So let's do the same thing. I'm actually surprised that coaches even need agents. Like I understand the idea of having someone represent you call, you know, call around all those things. But the NHL Coaches Association has been massive in terms of getting those guys more money. And and Mike Babcock, you know, say what you want about him, but he was a big proponent of the creation of it. And his yeah. massive contract with the Toronto Maple Leafs has risen. It's raised the tide for every boat in that marina. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah. And they, they share like the Coaches Association shares all of that data with these guys. You know, you know, if you are a head coach, here's what every head coach in the league makes. Here's the range. If you're an assistant, same thing, video coach, AHL coaches, everyone shares info through that coaches association now to the point where everyone is really well protected. And that's the whole point of an association is to take care of the people in your group. And it feels like that's, well, obviously that's been a huge change in the last five to seven years, but more than that, I think they could even do a little bit more. And I honestly... I don't think like Mike Babcock, there's some people, you know, that love him or hate him, whatever as a coach, that's fine. But when you look at, it's rare that someone who's in the, the strong position of power, because when Mike Babcock did this, he was at the top of the coaching pyramid, if we want to say, right? Like mm -hmm. he was highly regarded. One Got of the eight billion coaches. a year. 
Yeah. And he, he was the one though, that said, you know what? I'm not just going to look out for me. I'm going to do something for, yeah, it benefits me. Sure. But it's for the betterment of everyone else. And that doesn't always happen, Frank. There's lots of guys at the top who don't want to rock the boat. And so I give Mike Babcock a lot of credit because, you know, you can, you can make, you can, you can make a lot of enemies and lose some friends when you're in a position to, to make a difference because some people don't like change. Yeah, I'm sure the NHL. Well, trust me, I'm sure there's lots of owners who are like, you know what? I'm never hiring Babcock. That guy now, coach has got to get more. Trust me, those guys. There's people that will think that way. So I actually give him a lot of credit for doing it because he easily just could have said, you know what? Those guys worry about themselves. I'm going to get my cookies because he would have got his own. This is a complete tangent, but um, and perhaps it might get me in trouble with someone listening. They may not like to hear this, but given all of the things that have surfaced with you know varying coaches throughout the years what and i i think is this the last year that mike babcock is being paid by the leafs oh geez i have to look that it up. might be but my my question yeah. is i thought it was last year but you can- what would be keeping him out now aside from the contract like is it appropriate that he still doesn't have a path to work well, or maybe I, I he think- does yeah, I think the big question would be, um, and, and yeah, John Tortorella spoke about how, you know, he had to change how he coached a little bit, right? It's just different time now. So, and and a lot of that's not changing the X and O's, it's changing your personality and communication, right? That's really the difference. So I, I don't know, you know, in, in interviews with teams, do they feel that, that Mike would be the guy who could change his communication? And maybe he doesn't want to coach again. Yeah. Maybe doesn't but this hate. is the last year of his deal. So it expires um, on June 30th and he will no longer be receiving money from the Leafs Full after 50 frame. million bucks. Just on that contract, he clearly doesn't need to work. Maybe full circle, Frank, Mike Babcock back to Anaheim. I don't see it. <laughs> no, me neither. But, but the point is like, sh- should we have a larger discussion about social narrative and you know, everything that's come, you know, the big accusation on his way out was that he mistreated players, was hard on players, and the whole thing that popped up with Mitch Marner and his effort level. Is that enough to sink someone, or are we overreacting? Well, I think even some of the stuff in Detroit, right? They talked about that sure, uh, as well. So, but like anything... Um, How much of you- it, like... Yeah, so I would love to hear from an independent third person that was in the room. Like one person feels one way about something. Clearly Mike Babcock doesn't agree, but what is the act? Like there's his side, his side, and then the truth. Yeah. No, what is the truth? I don't like, I don't know that. My only point is I think we're pretty quick now in society to condemn people. And I'm not speaking in support of Mike Babcock. It's more just a general social commentary. No, that's fair, right? They, they they want people to be punished forever, and uh, it's, it's not really how it works. Like unless you know, unless you murder someone, and even then, sometimes, unfortunately, there's people that depending on the the level of it. So you know what, uh, you make a mistake, you you can live with it for sure. There's some mistakes that are definitely worse than others, and um, you you don't know a hundred percent, but I, I'm sure there are some that are like, is it worth um taking the risk? Um, Will he apologize? Has he apologized privately? Because he doesn't need a public apology. It's not the public's, doesn't impact my life. If if there was that stuff, it should be directed to the people involved. And uh, if Mitch Marner and him, if Mitch Marner says, you know what? I forgive my move on. It's all good. It's water under the bridge. 
other people probably should. Will be interesting. Yeah. Just will he get back in now that the contract is up? He's been out of the game since November 20th, 2019. So for one of the sort of headline marquee coaches of his generation to be out of the league for that long, approaching four calendar years is a really long time. Yeah. Very long. Let's um, talk playoffs. Yeah. Lots of, uh, lots of interesting uh, in the series. Of course, you've got uh, the games last night, Carolina and uh, Boston now are, uh, are one game away from, uh, from victory in the, in their series. And I, I I don't see either one of those teams coming back. Do you, Frank, uh, in uh, the Islanders or Florida? No, I don't. Done in five? Look, I think Florida's effort has been admirable. I think if you looked at the first few games, like there are chunks where they've outplayed the Bruins. Boston's just too deep. (laughs) And Florida doesn't have the goaltending. Like, you can take, you know, Bergeron and Krejci out of the line. Like, it's all right. Like, they're good. They're still good. Their D is so good. Like, I think it's un- it, like everyone talks about their four lines. And I'm like, Hampus Lindholm, Charlie McAvoy, and Dmitry Orlov. Like, how many teams are icing a better top three? Yeah. Brandon, Carlo. maybe Carolina. Maybe, maybe, but I'd say probably not. Probably not. Yeah. They're close, but yeah, it's. Boston's just so deep, man. Like, you know, Taylor Hall's on their third line. He pops four goals and looks like a first liner on lots of other four points, excuse me, two and two, and looks like a first liner on other teams. Like, yeah, you, you got a former Hart Trophy winner on your third line, and they're very deep. They're very consistent. I, I, you know, I liked Hall's honesty at the start of the playoffs. He goes, I've never had a better chance to win the cup. And, um, you know, that doesn't, that's not lost on me. I, you only have so many opportunities. And uh, Boston looks really good. And I think the benefit for them now, there's an extra day off in that series. And then they, uh, they'll play, you know, you win that series. You just, I think one of the biggest advantages, Frank, now in the playoffs is rest for some of these teams. And if you can finish them off oh. sooner. So Boston, Carolina, that could be a Your big Boston. Advantage. You don't have to sweat trying to get Bergeron back in. How yeah. nice is that feeling to be like, yeah, we're good. We can, we can give them another week. Yeah. It'd be huge. Huge for them. So uh, Dallas, Minnesota is at two. Edmonton, LA is at two. What, what do you make of those two series? Wow. Um, I feel like two totally different series. Like I feel like there's been barely an inch of ice in the Minnesota Dallas series. And I feel like the Oilers are incredibly lucky to not be down three to one. You think? Well, they've played, they've had great stretches. Like we've talked about this, like they, they outplayed the Kings for a huge chunk of game one and they've been the better team at even strength. But to me, like they were still staring down after giving up three goals. Like they're staring down a three, three to one deficit. Oh yes, Lucky like the that fact game. that that it didn't get there, and then they came back again after, uh, you know that late, you know sort of late goal from Evander Kane, and then win it in OT. Like they're incredibly fortunate. Like they've been, the Oilers have been playing with fire. I think that's the the true and correct answer. Well, they've been unable to produce, and they got some guys scoring. And I, hey, you know what? The playoffs is very short. If a guy goes three games without a goal in the regular season, it's barely even talked about. 
Let's be honest, because it happens all the time. But yeah. uh, in the playoffs, it's only seven games. You can't go three or four games for top line guys without a goal. And, um, you know, they didn't. You look at their five on five scoring. The fact that they don't have a goal still five on five without Leon Drysaddle on the ice is mind blowing to me. It's four games. Four games, like it's good for Drysaddle. Leads the league. He's got nine points. He's oh, been on the ice, Frank, such for a all fourteen of their goals. All fourteen. Like that's amazing for Drysaddle. But and now I know that the Oilers' power play has um, six of those goals. So you know, sure. But still, they, um, uh, you know, Zach Hyman, Evander Kane scoring is huge for them. Those are guys they need. They, they've had other quality chances, but. I I wonder if Game Four boosts their confidence just that they they broke through Corpus because and and where they shot Frank if you're looking is upstairs right a lot of their goals now are upstairs I think they feel that's a weakness I'll see if it's something that they continue on but if you look at the Hyman goal you look at the Kane goal you look at the McDavid goals you look at Bouchard those are high shots and I wonder if they felt like they've found something on Corpus Allo. I don't Corpus Allo wouldn't be my concern if I were the Oilers. My concern would be, what are we doing with our own net? Jack Campbell comes in, plays pretty well, makes some key saves, 27 of 28, if I'm not mistaken. I, I wouldn't start him in game five. I don't You're know about start you. Skinner. I would start Skinner. I think I, Jack Campbell makes me insanely nervous. I think they would start Skinner because he's kind of been their guy. And when Skinner got pulled in the first period – I don't think those goals, like the Kopitar goal, he had no chance on. That's just a great deke right in close, right? You're going yeah. one way. And I'm not, blame, I'm not blaming I'm not blaming Skinner. I'm, what I I'm know. saying is, I or or Campbell, really. Like Campbell, he held up his end of the bargain. I just, I wouldn't go yeah. back to him. Yeah, I think they go to Skinner. What it does, though, is now it gives him confidence. If by chance the rookie struggles, you've got Jack Campbell. Who, like Jack Campbell's save on Arvidsson, Frank. That's the save. Probably yeah. not talk about, but that breakaway save, stretching out the pad, might be a series saving save, as you mentioned. Because if they give up that goal, they Season probably lose saving. for sure. All right, yeah. so that's that's a huge, and that's you need contributions in the playoffs from different guys at different times. Now, speaking of goaltending, um, I Dustin, just don't think he's anywhere near as good. Campbell, right Skinner. now with where his game is, I don't think Campbell and Skinner are in the same place. Yeah, see. I thought Campbell played really well and, and and Skinner's played okay, but Skinner has hasn't played to the level he played in the regular season yet. I don't feel he's been he hasn't been bad, but he hasn't been great yet. He made the one really good save again on Arvidsson, funny enough. Um going cross crease in game two. That was a big stop. So um, but you know, I I, I still think it'll be Skinner because that's your guy. I, I don't think you just suddenly go away from your guy. We saw Minnesota do that in game two, and how did it work out? I wouldn't do it. Yeah. And how about uh Andre Vasilevsky leading the playoffs in goals against, not the category you want to be leading in. Now, if my memory is correct, last year through four games, wasn't it the same thing in that Toronto-Tampa Bay series? Wasn't he getting lit up? He, he was, yeah, his numbers were awful in that series. Yeah, so, and then in game six and seven, he clamped down. And so I think tonight is the tonight's the night for Toronto. You think about it. I think it's four series that they have led two to one since 2017, Frank, and they've lost game four in all of them. If you have a chance to really, and it doesn't guarantee you success when you're up three to one, but it gives you an infinitely better chance. And if, if it's two, two, and I think tonight is a crucial game for Toronto. It doesn't mean they'll lose a series if they lose the game, but they can make life. Oh, I think they lose the series if they lose the game. 
You think? I mean, maybe I, maybe that's a bridge too far. Yeah. But I, I I guess I disagree with the idea of Sheldon Keefe trying to spin the narrative, saying after Saturday's game that that was the game that they've lost, or they would have lost in past years. It's an overly rosy way to look at things. They they basically got outplayed from start to finish, except in goal. Except in goal, and they won. That's not the game the Leafs have lost every year that's crippled them. The game that they've lost every year that's crippled them is when they've had an opportunity to put the skate to the throat of their opponent, and they haven't done it. They had a chance last year, same exact situation, to go up 3-1 in the series and couldn't do it. Then they had a chance to win the series, game six in overtime, couldn't do it. Game seven, home ice, can't do it. This, I, I think you win, if you're the Leafs, you win game four, you win the series. You go up 3-1 and you're winning the series. Yeah, and if you lose it and you give Tampa some life, and if you really dive into the games of the three that have been played, Tampa has outplayed you pretty, pretty thoroughly in two of them. Yikes. Yeah, the one thing I will say, though, about that game is how many games have the Leafs had a goalie win them the game at a key time over the last few years? Uh, and I think that's what was big about game three for them was they didn't play their best game. Tampa Bay was more physical. You need that. Yeah, and, and every team needs that. You need a goalie to, to steal you a game sometimes. It happens. And so I think that's that's a huge, to me. But who's got the more likelihood now going down the stretch in the series to steal a game? Is well, it Samsonov a second time or is it Vasilevsky? I, here's the thing. I'm The reason why I could see Samsonov doing it again, I still don't love Tampa Bay's, like, obviously getting Hedman back helps. But their blue line, just the experience. Although I will say, Radish, where's Radish come from? Like Tampa Bay, oh my goodness, like that guy's been great for them. I, you know, I watch a little bit of Tampa. I don't watch enough of them, but I'm like, oh, here's this Radish guy. And he just comes out there and he's wheeling around, he's scoring goals and he's playing big minutes. And you're like, there's something about John Cooper and that organization that they get players to succeed there. And that's not something to be sure. Like, I think they're older. I think they're banged up, Frank. I think maybe they're a little worn down, but man, they keep playing hard. But we're not so talking probably- about winning the cup. We're talking about winning nope. a series. I agree. And more than that, I think they've looked like the hungrier team. Yeah. I For agree. a team that may be beat up and worn down, this was a huge reminder to me this series. Game one, the way they came out. Game three, the way they played in its entirety. Like, they want to win. They battle. They win the battles. And that like that's what enables you to win in the playoffs. You gotta want it more. See, the one comment I didn't like um from from Keith, and I sometimes I just it to me it talks too much. I don't understand why you, you're trying to go over gamesmanship and Steven Stamkos and Matthews. And when I'm looking at a lot of the things, I'm like, what? Like what are you talking about? Like it's Steven Stamkos. It's not like it was Corey Perry. Who's on their fourth line. who's still a very effective player going after Austin Matthews. It was Steven Stamkos. Those are like each team's best shooter going after each other. And 
I, yeah, this I whole just, idea that the the lightning are better at working the officials. Like, yeah, I'm like, dude, why not just say I was happy how our guys stood up? That's what you got to do in the playoffs. You stand up and you defend each other because that's what they did. And I don't care who initiates it or not. I didn't see Matthews turtling. I didn't see him running away. And to me, that's that would have been the storyline. I'm just sometimes I'm perplexed by the angles that Keith takes. They seem odd to me. It just seems unnecessary on top yeah. of being odd. Like, so the other comment that he made was like. So reporters asked him why ha- like why weren't we allowed to talk to Ilya Samsonov after the game to your point in which he was so good. And a natural storyline there and the answer was well where's Vasilevsky been? Why hasn't he been talking? And it's like well what does like for, there's one like yeah. one so what aboutism? There's one reporter that travels with the the Tampa Bay Lightning. One. The reason he hasn't talked is because they haven't asked for him. Not because he's unavailable. So you want to make Samsonov unavailable because you want to go tit for tat with the lightning? Like, how about you just worry about playing the game? Yeah, seems seems odd. Um, another series, Frank, that, man, I've loved watching it. It's been highly entertaining. Uh, the Jets almost had a three-goal deficit mm. comeback. Uh, they tied it in the third period. They lose in overtime. But the bigger story there is, unfortunately, the health of Josh Morrissey. And... That is crippling, I believe. Like, Winnipeg can still make it a series, but I'm just not sure you can win without your number one defenseman in a series. Like, that's awful timing. I agree. It's really tough and obviously pretty significant in that they declare that he's not coming back. So that just adds to it. There's no hope. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. Um, Yeah, it's... I've kind of felt like the Jets gave it their best shot, if that makes any sense, on Saturday. They, they had this massive comeback. They force OT down for nothing, you know, huge moment. And the fact that they can't quite push it over the finish line, like I feel like that game just takes so much out of you, takes so much wind out of your sails, especially now, as you mentioned, facing this idea that you, you don't have your number one blue liner. So they're going to try and make it as best they can. Um, I think you know, speaking of goalies and being able to steal games, like Hellebuck has been very average. Um, not blaming him, just saying like, we were thinking, oh man, Hellebuck is going to backstop this team and give them a chance. Like the last two games, he's given up nine goals. So that that puts a chink in your armor, I think. A little bit, yeah, no question. And I, I think that's that's a little bit of the the lack of Morrissey too, right? When... You're without your best defense when you've got other guys playing more minutes. And you can do it for short periods of time, but eventually, I think it becomes harder. Um, but the Jets, hey, Adam Lowry, by the way, shout out to Adam Lowry. I think he has had an unreal He's a beast. series for the Jets. He's been amazing to watch. And they've needed him because yes, some of their other guys haven't been there. Yeah, so the Jets still got their offense. I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Jets win it in, in Winnipeg. They might lose in six, but I wouldn't be surprised if they win game four. Now, there's the other pivotal one, Frank, of course, uh, the Rangers and the Devils. The Devils get a huge win. Dougie Hamilton, great snipe, by the way, uh, in overtime by, by Hamilton. And, you know, they bring the rookie goaltender in, wins his first game. Obviously, you're going back to Schmid for, uh, for game four, but... You look at that series, I thought the Rangers really controlled the first two games, and... I don't know if jitters is too easy to say, but New Jersey, to me, I found they played a lot closer to what resembled the regular season for them. They were right in that game. And I'm, yep. I wonder, can they do it again, though, in New York? That's a huge game 
uh, for that. I don't think that they're going to, you give up a three, one deficit to the Rangers at series over in my eyes yeah. for, for a team like New Jersey, but you win and suddenly you regain home ice. Like it's a pivotal game in game four tonight. Like it isn't a lot of them, but I think in that one more, because the Rangers, we talked earlier about making life easier for yourself, shortening your series. Today's a huge game for them. They yep. can't, the devil's got life. They got to choke it out of them tonight if they want. Agreed. And and you're right. Like, I think the devils just look so much more comfortable. It was like, okay, we, we know what this is like. We have a better idea of, of what the playoff action is like, and now we can settle in. Um, I'm with you though, going down three, one, like I, I, I don't think anyone's going to give them much of a chance to come back. Wanted to read you some odds uh, that popped into my inbox and shout out to our friends at botano.ca. Um, they've done a great job with their odds, but I'm wondering if given where things stand Jay in the series themselves do like, which team would you give a chance to come back? That is trailing. So I'll read you a few of them. Okay. So Bruins minus 4,500. They're not going anywhere. No. Maple Leafs minus 325, which indicates that they have a 76.5% chance of winning. Is that high or low? I think that's fairly accurate, actually, for me. Um, okay. I uh, They got home ice. They're already up two to one. Um, yeah, maybe a little high, actually, 76. How much will that swing with one game tonight? Yeah, it would probably swing down to Toronto would go down to probably 55. 54 something like that so yeah it's a big game like that that might be every game four is big frank but i think for and it's just because the history of both organizations yep i think that is the most pivotal game for by far so rangers devils they've got the rangers minus 275 which indicates a 73.3 percent likelihood that sounds about right to me. Yeah, that does to me too. Like, uh, no, no, no offense to Devils fans. I know they're not going to like it, but um, I think the Devils. It's like a step in the process for them. I think this is a big step to get in and compete. And obviously, the deeper they go, the longer they go in the series, the better. But the Rangers just—they got a lot of talent. Um, they got more experience. They got more size. I think that's why they win. The Hurricanes get their first win on the road in two yeah. playoff years. That's all. And a huge moment for them. Like they don't want to cough up their lead in the series to the Islanders. They're minus 1,400. Feels like they're going to close it out. 93.3% chance. So we won't spend any time on that. Golden Knights minus 325, 76.5% chance. Sound Although right? Josh Morrissey, that might be low. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree. Uh, Oilers minus 285. So a 2-2 series, it says Oilers 74% likelihood. Hmm. Yeah, 70, well, they have home ice, and Edmonton has outplayed LA for way more stretches of, of the series. So a, a lot of it comes down to me for Edmonton is, like, it's funny, because Connor McDavid has six points. It's not bad, but... Like Leon Drysaddle has controlled games. Yep. McDavid's yet to control a game, and I think it's only we saw it last year against LA. He controlled game six and seven. So I I, I think maybe that's why it's high. Is that there's you know they've got the they've got the best player in the game who's not playing poorly by any stretch, but he's easily capable of just taking over a game. Why hasn't he? Like well, I think is Phil it what Deneau, the Kings have done or is it McDavid? 
Uh, well, you look at his shots, he's, he's generating chances. LA's done a few things well. They've limited his slot passes. They've done a really good job of, of collapsing to the to down low. And the other thing is they've limited his inner slot shots. He's been shooting from the slot, which is still good. But if you look on the regular season, he was fifth in the NHL in inner slot shots. And and uh, he's only, I think, got two through four games, which is much lower than what he did in the regular season. So they've Dano and them have done a good job of keeping him outside. But the thing I've noticed the last few games, McDavid, He's just, he figures things out. He's taking the puck to the middle more. And once he does that, even if he doesn't score, it creates more space for others. And he's just too smart not to have a game where, whether it's game five, six, or seven, one of those games, He'll you're going to at the end of the night it. say McDavid yeah. took over. Agreed. Uh, Kraken and Avs, it feels to me like the Kraken threw their best punch. Yes. It's Avs minus 625, which indicates an 86.2% likelihood. Yeah, that's that's very accurate. I got a Seattle's Seattle's kept this closer than I thought they would. I give them a lot of credit, but I just the the tie end talent of McKinnon and McCarr and Rantanen has uh, has taken over. And wild stars stars minus one fifty, which indicates a sixty percent likelihood. I still think that's high. I see that's a total coin flip for me, man. Minnesota is a, obviously they're going to hate the game uh, four result. They don't, they're going to focus on the penalties, but their penalty kill has got to get better. But, you know, Dallas, there's no Joe Pavelski. You know, Tyler Sagan has stepped up. He might come back, by the way. They did say that there is a chance Pavelski's back for late in the series. Yeah. And he's been progressing well. That's a, that's a big emotional boost for them. But how about Sagan scoring in his spot on the power play? Like, but he's saying still a good player, man. Like, yeah. uh, you know what? Uh, the, I, I think there's a guy, and all that's going to do is if they get Joe Pavelski back, is now you've got Sagan who's feeling much better about his game. So that's a bond. I I would still take Dallas, but I wouldn't have him at 60%. I, I'd probably have maybe, or it seems like I'm more like a 53. Like, it's not, it's an advantage, but it's not much for me. So of those eight series and all the underdogs that we just talked about, if I gave you $100, to place on any of them, who would it be? Uh, Minnesota. Oh, really? Even at the short odds of just plus 130, you only get yeah, 100 I want to win my money. So that's who I'm going for. See, I, who would you take? I like the longer odds. So I'm going to, I would take the Lightning plus 270. Okay. And the reason for that is like if the Lightning win game four tonight and it's 2 2. They're going to drop to like plus 150, which means you're buying it at a, at a real value, I think. Yeah, yeah but no, that's, that's fair. I still think, you know, the way the Leafs have played at varying points and the fact that they won game three, like all logic indicates the Leafs should win this series. But nothing about their first round exits has been logical. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, I'm basing my bet not on which one gives me the best odds, but which one I think has. I still think Toronto wins the series. So that's why, and I still think Dallas, but if I got to pick one, that's the one I would pick. Cause I, I'm sorry, Jets fans, the, the Morrissey injury kills you Kraken, I don't think so. Devils. No, I'm thinking Morrissey. about the Kings would be the next one that I would bet plus yeah. 240. Yeah, they might. Hey, they, that series has been, that series has been close. Um, uh, definitely in the scoreboard, but I really wonder though, with Edmonton, if, if they start to get a little bit, if there's more goals in a series that benefits Edmonton, that's just the truth. True. Yeah. Should be fun week, Frank, and um, really interesting to see what comes of the uh, you know the coach association. That's a story to follow uh, into the summer. Uh, we're getting. And closer, you know what else is way. a story to follow? 
Got my trade targets coming out this week, so we'll have plenty to talk about on Thursday. Trade targets, and also we're inching closer, Frank. Two weeks, draft lottery. Yeah. And this week, Tyler Ramchuk eats cat food. Oh, my gosh. Order fans are going to be dying on that Oilers nation. <laughs> I cannot wait. Tyler, on his way back from L.A., couldn't join us today. But uh, hopefully... Was he out uh, buying cat food? Is that what he was doing? Was he scouting for the best wet, wet or dry? That's my question. Oh, it's got to be. Well, I don't even know. Gross, either one. But I think the wet would go down easier. You got to crunch all oh, the dry ones. Oh, God. All of it is gross. <laughs> oh, good for him, though. Good for him. Have a good week. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Saravali and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.